if you weren't here last week for chapter one, um, one, you can always go to redemptionaz.com, which is our website, and go through uh, sermons that we've had in the past and kind of track and see where we've been with different series. So you can go back and listen to that. But last week, just to kind of give you a little bit of a recap of what's happened so far in Jonah and Jonah chapter one. So God calls Jonah, says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the Assyrians. And Jonah's like, they're terrible people. I don't want anything to do with that. So he gets up and he goes the complete opposite direction of where God tells him to go. And then God pursues Jonah because that's what God does. And God sends a storm uh, and the sailors freak out and they say, what should we do? And Jonah's like, just throw me over. And so they do. Uh, Jonah surrenders in that way uh, and the sea becomes calm. And then chapter one ends with a great fish swallowing Jonah. So yeah, Christians believe some weird stuff. So um, Jonah chapter 1 shows us two realities. The, f- the first is um, the reality that we run from God. And the Bible calls this sin. This is our illogical response to distance ourselves from the source of life by running to other things that we think are going to bring us life. We run from God. The second reality that we saw in Jonah chapter 1 is that God pursues. And the Bible calls this grace. It's a tendency in the heart of God to chase us and to lead us to and to give us life. And it's not because he sees anything beautiful in us. It's because of something that's beautiful in him. God doesn't bless us because he sees something wonderful in your heart. He blesses us because of something wonderful in his heart. Now that is good news, especially if you're here and you're like, I really just don't feel like I'm worthy to be pursued by God in in that way. But his love is not motivated by nor contingent upon your loveliness. It's all sourced in him. That's what grace is. It chases and it gives. That's what grace does. I I heard a, a definition of grace that I really like recently. It says this, when undeserving people receive an unbelievable gift from an unobligated giver, and the response is gratitude and joy. Let me say that again. Grace is when undeserving people, like me and you, receive an unbelievable gift from an unobligated giver, the response is gratitude and joy. There's a pastor from L.A., and he says this. He says, the Bible is not the story of God finding good people and rewarding them. It's the story of God pursuing sinners and renewing them. That's what we see in Jonah chapter 2. We see Jonah, whose, whose life had literally and figuratively sunk And how amazing it was that God above would reach down and save him. I want to read through uh, all of chapter 2. We'll just do a flyover and then we'll kind of go through it uh, verse by verse and really kind of see what what God's doing here in Jonah chapter 2. We'll have the the text up on the screen so you can follow along or if you have your Bible, it'd be great. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God, like Dora, also speaks whale. So let's, uh, I got kids. Those are dad jokes. Let me, let me pray um, that God would help us. Heavenly Father, we, um, we've already sung about your amazing grace. God, your unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor that you, that you lavish on us. And God, even this moment now where we can come together and open your word, God, is just another one of your incredible blessings. God, it's another just sign of your grace in our lives. So Father, I pray um, that you'd speak to us by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you move with power and freedom in this room, in our hearts, and our minds? Would you illuminate the scriptures? Would you light up the places of our lives and our hearts and our minds, God, that you want to deal with in a particular way this morning? Father, I pray that I would be hidden and that you would be seen and that, Jesus, you would be made much of and magnified. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, if you were here and you, you heard chapter 1, you saw that chapter 1 is written as a story, but chapter 2, Jonah kind of switches to a poem. It goes from narrative to poem. So, so why, does, why does that happen? Why does Jonah do that? Well, so much of life is not just what happened, not just the details of our life, but how we feel about what has happened in our life. And poetry is not just a conduit or a delivery system for information. Poetry is information that's lit up with emotion. We, we don't write songs just simply about the details of an event, like when he broke up with me or when I fell in love with her. We, we write these songs to talk about how we feel about when those things happen to us. So poetry is a way of communicating when we want to get information across, but we want it to be shot through with emotion. Jonah is telling us here how he feels about what's happening. And, and you really can't read poetry correctly if you don't allow yourself to really feel what's going on in the text. If you just read it for content, you're going to miss the author's intent. And it's not less than understanding the facts of the story. It's actually all that and, and more because it's information with, with emotion. Jonah gets to this moment. He breaks into song about what happened to him. And there's different emotions that he wants us to feel as we go along with it. So we're going to go back through this section of scripture. But I want you to do two things as we do. I want you to visualize and I want you to empathize. Visualize and empathize. This is a great just way to be reading your Bible. Tyler says this all the time, and, and, I, and I love um, how he just encourages us to do this, to read the Bible using your imagination. Me meaning don't just skim over it and like, okay, this is a cursory thing that I just have to do, but really engage yourself in what is happening, especially in the narrative. So, so ask yourself as you're kind of reading through what's happening to Jonah here, how would I feel if this was, if this was me? 
What, what would I be thinking if this was happening to me? What would I say? How would I try to communicate what happened to me to others? What tone of voice might I have? What emotions might I be feeling? So in verse 1, again, going back through the text, Jonah gives us the context. He's now in the, in the belly of the fish where he writes this. And in verse 2, he kind of gives us a summary of his feelings. He's, he's distressed. He's anxious. He's afraid. There's, there's, there's terror there. In, in verse 3, he's talking about kind of like the physical distress of drowning. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience that's, that's close to that. In a, in a former life, one of my hobbies was surfing. And uh, since I wasn't very good, I um, had this experience a lot. There's one particular experience where I went out by myself on a, on a day that was way bigger than I should have been. It was kind of cold, um, but I felt like, well, I could, there was a winter storm. And on the Gulf Coast of Florida, you don't get that very often. So paddled out, went out, um, went for the first wave, way too big uh, for me. And I go up over the top and I'm pounded to the ground, pounded to the ground. I fall like eight feet, boom, onto, in, into the water. The leash for my surfboard breaks, and I pop my head up, and I see my surfboard heading towards the beach. And I'm like 50, 60 yards from the beach. My wetsuit that I was wearing had blown open in the back. So there's a zipper that's in the back thing. The thing blew up. So I'm filling up with water, and I have nothing, no flotation. So I'm like, I just got to start like swimming. So I'm swimming. swimming. Waves are crashing down behind me. Wetsuits fill. I'm like a sponge kind of floating. And I'm trying. And I'm getting more and more tired. I don't die. So just so you can, everybody relax. <clears throat> I actually make it. But when I, I get to this place where I'm like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can take one more, one more stroke. I'm just going to kind of float down, hit off the bottom, and then spring back up to get another breath of air. And so I, I just go that, put my feet down, and I'm standing in like this much water. So anyway, um, that's how Jonah, that's how Jonah feels. In verse 4, he's talking about the emotional distress that he has. In and, and, and 5 and, and, and 6, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man. I, I have sunk beyond what I could swim out of. I can't stand here in this spot in the ocean, desperate and hopeless. In verse 7, he says, my life was ebbing away. I like how the ESV says it. It says, my life was fainting away. I was losing consciousness, but my mind fired up this thought to God, and he prays this ancient sacred prayer. God, help me. Verse 8, he, he teaches us. He says, if, look, if you're looking to something else other than God for satisfaction, life, and rescue, then you miss out on the steadfast love of God. In other words, if you can hold on to your God, you've got a small God. And he ends with response of thanksgiving, acknowledging the giver, celebrating the one who gave you a gift. So again, what would it feel like to be rescued like that? Well, Jonah shows us because when you taste of grace, you sing of it. This, this grace, this is the core of Christianity. Um, and Bono, who's the lead singer of a band called U2, he did an interview years and years ago uh, talking about this. And he said, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for a company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. And the interviewer says, oh, I've never really heard you talk about that. And Bono says, I really believe that we've moved out of the realm of karma and into one of grace. And the guy says, well, that doesn't really make it any clearer for me. And Bono says, you, you see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. 
you know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. And it's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe, I'm absolutely sure of it, and yet, along comes this idea called grace, to upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. He says, love interrupts the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And the interviewer says, well, I would be interested to hear about that. And Bono says, well, that's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. He, in fact, Bono wrote a song called Grace, and in it, um, Grace is pictured as a, as a woman. Listen to the lyrics of the song. She takes the blame, she covers the shame, removes the stain. She travels outside of karma, and what once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings, because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. You see, when, when grace touches down on you like that, you, you're never the same. John Newton was born in 1775. His mother was religious, was a, was a Christian. Uh, dad was an irreligious sailor. And his mom died when he was just a kid, and so he was raised by his father, and he literally became a drunken sailor. John Newton had the reputation where he could cuss or swear for two hours straight and not use the same phrase over again. I don't even know how you did that, but that's what John was able to do. But people didn't really like John. In fact, they hated him. At one point, his crew abandoned him on the coast of Africa. And he was captured, and he was enslaved, and he was tortured and starved for two years. He was finally able to escape, and he used a signifier to stop a boat, and he got on the boat. And with all that pain and all that anger and all that rage in his heart, John Newton became a slave trader. He would capture and steal men, women, and children and sell them for money. That's what he did with his life. Well, that crew hated him, too, because he was a mess of a human being. He was an absolute monster. And one day a storm came, because that's what God does. And in the middle of the storm, he realizes, I'm probably going to die. And so he does something that he most likely hadn't done um, since he was a boy with his mother. He, he prayed out a prayer, God, help me. And he didn't die there, but he did get sick. And because he got sick, they kicked him off the boat, and he wandered the city, lost, until someone invited him to a meeting somewhat like this. And it was at that meeting that he heard about the grace of God that came from Jesus that would forgive someone like him, and John Newton believed it. And the crazy thing is, there's three things that became true of him that were actually the reputation for the rest of his life. First, he became a pastor. Second, he worked tirelessly to abolish slavery with people like Hannah Moore and William Wilberforce, and they made it happen in England without a war. Third, he became famous for the song that he wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. In grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? the hour I first believed. 
Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. And when you realize I'm not deserving and he's unobligated and he blesses anyway, you start singing. Can God make an addict sober? I've seen it. Can God make a racist an abolitionist? abolitionist? Yep. Can God change and heal you today? Absolutely. No one is too far gone. And I realize there's people in the room, you're listening to this, and you might be thinking, look, man, I'm not like you. I'm not whatever you are, Christian. I'm not, that's not me. I'm not a follower of, of Jesus. The Bible says of you that you are a human made in the image of God. So there's something beautiful about you. Every human being has dignity and worth because God's hands have touched you. But Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short. We are far less than we should be. And Isaiah 59 tells us that our problem is that our sin, our rebellion, our treason against a holy God has separated us from God forever. So you're like Jonah. You're drowning. But something wonderful happens in Jonah's story. A guilty Jonah cries and God rescues. He says, I called out of my distress and the Lord answered me. And that's what God does. So wherever you are in life, God will do that. You're never too far gone. When, when Jonah is singing in verse 2, he's, he's very low. He's at the absolute low point. He, he's undeserving. He's in the sea because it's his fault. He's getting what he deserves in this, in this moment. He runs from God, and God lets him experience what that's like. God says, you, that's the life you want? It's not going to be very good for you. Jonah's reaping what he sowed. But even then, in verse 4, he says, nevertheless, I'm going to look at your temple. He says it in verse 4 and in verse 7. I'm going to look towards the holy temple. So Jonah's drowning. Why is he now talking about a building? Why is he writing about a building? Jonah is a, is a Jew, and the Jews believe that at the center of the, the world was the nation of Israel. And in the center of the nation of Israel was Jerusalem, and in the center of Jerusalem was the temple. And in the center of the temple was this room called the Holy of Holies. And the temple was a picture of the place that God dwelled. It was the, where the presence of God was. So Jonah's saying, I'm looking towards the presence of God. Now, God didn't really live in a building, but it, it, was, a, it was a picture. It was an image. And in that room, in a box overlaid with gold, that box held the laws of God, the, the holiness of God, pure life etched in stone. And because of sin, no one could enter that room except for the high priest. And that, that was the, the picture that you saw there. Because of sin, you're not okay with God. You cannot be in the presence of God. One day a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would kill an innocent, unblemished lamb and take the blood of that lamb and he'd place it on the lid of this box called the Helisterian or the mercy seat. And it was a picture that we violated the law so that we can't be with God, but that somebody innocent would take the blame for us. That somebody innocent would take the shame, pay the debt for me, and when God sees the sacrifice, it opens the door for me to commune with God, for me to meet with God. And they knew that there was, this was something that God would fully complete one day. The, the Apostle Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. He, he writes in chapter 3, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified or made right 
freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, payment, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Now, does Jonah fully realize all those mechanics that Paul's writing about in Romans chapter 3? No. But Jonah says, even though I'm drowning, even though the weeds are wrapped around my neck, if somebody can pay for this, if somebody can save, I'm calling out to be saved. I'm looking towards the presence of God because if someone can take my place, I want them to take it. If someone will rescue me, I want rescue. Which is why in verse 9, Jonah knows, he's like, this salvation is from the Lord. I didn't earn this. I had nothing to do with this. This rescue is all from the Lord. Eugene Peterson is a Christian author who passed away last year, and at his funeral, his son spoke about his dad. His son's name is Leif. And he used to joke with his father, and he'd tell him, he said, look, you really only have one sermon. You really only have one message, despite decades of creativity and sharing the Bible with people in new ways. And he says this. He says, it's almost laughable how you fooled them, how for 30 years, every week, you made them think you were saying something new. They didn't know how simple it was. They were blind to your secret. Leif Peterson said that he knew his father's secret forever, as he had been telling him for 50 years. He says, for 50 years, you steal into my room at night and you whisper softly to my sleeping head the same message over and over again. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. I don't know how far you think you are, but God is coming for you. And you might have descended to the roots of the mountains and you feel like the earth with its bars are around you forever. But the thing about God is that he brings lives up from the pit. And all you have to do is cry out and say, Jesus, if you're forgiving people, forgive me. If you're saving, save me. And some of you in the room, most of you in the room probably would say, well, I, I already believe all that. I, I already know all that. I'm already a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I mean, I sing these songs because I, I believe that. But there is a reality that even then there is this tendency in us to resist the leadership of God and to run from him. There's still something broken in us. We still tend to run. And for many of us, the shame feels even worse because we feel like we should know better. You see, you're like Jonah too. I mean, Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a man who spoke for God, and he ran from him. There's no more embarrassing place to be. And as a Christian, you're not in need of being saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. That's what Jesus did on the cross. But you've got the power of sin at work in your life, and you need saving from that every day. And so if that's you, the same thing is true for you. In, in, in verse 7, when I was fainting away... I called out and you heard my prayer. You, you don't have to clean yourself up, Christian, before you can come back home. You just have to admit that you're a mess. You just have to cry out while you are fainting away. While you are desperate, you cry out. And if sin is carrying you away, away from believing that God can work in your life, then cry out. And some of you, you know these voices very well because you hear them all the time. Some of you, the, the voice of, of insecurity, the voice that just tells you, okay, I, I, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not successful enough, I'm not wealthy enough, I'm not strong enough. 
I'm just not enough. You just hear that over and over again. And that, that pulls you away. And you're fainting under the weight of that. For some of you, it's the voice of greed and materialism. And it's, just, it's this pull. It's this voice that's calling you. Just get more, get more. Whatever, whatever God you can hold in your hands, that's what's going to satisfy you. And it's got its absolute seaweed just wrapped all around you. For some of you, it's the voice of lust, and it feels like the bars of the earth are just closing you in, and you're fainting away from that. Could be, could be hatred over something that somebody has done to you, or just maybe you're just mad, you're just angry at the world, and you're fainting away, you're drowning in it. Cry out. Cry out to God. Lord, save me. There is rescue. And it's not, well, you better figure it out first. You better have a better track record before there's rescue coming for you. No, he says, while I'm fainting away, while life is ebbing away, I'm watching my life recede back into the ocean. I cry out to your temple. Now, does that solve everything in an instant? No, it's not what happened to Jonah. He doesn't cry out and then the next thing he's like magically just on the beach chilling. It's not how it happens. God doesn't do that. He doesn't send a carnival cruise line to pick him up. God sends a fish. Now, I guess when you're drowning, it's good to be rescued by a fish, but objectively speaking, three days in the belly of a fish is probably pretty gnarly. Jonah did get saved, but the means of grace was not super comfortable. And God wants to break chains. He wants to light up the dark. He wants to heal broken things, but the means of rescue that he will send you might not feel comfortable. Jonah is saved by the body of the fish, and it could be that God will use the body of Christ to save you out of your particular issues. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us is us. Now, not to make you right with God. Again, the finished work of Jesus has done that. But as we struggle, God uses as an instrument of help to us his spirit and his people. One of the best things that's happened to me over the last 12 or 13 years that I've been here have been the people that God has brought into my life. And how God has used them as a, as a type of rescue. God has used them speaking into my life. God provides that for us. And, and maybe your first day of the fish is you're just, you're here. You're, all right, okay, I'm sitting through this thing. I'm listening to you. I'm, I'm here. And that's day one. Okay, it's good. It's a good start. And maybe day two for you in the fish is you'll actually come talk to one of the pastors or leaders and you'll ask for prayer or you'll head over to the prayer space in the commons and you'll ask for prayer over there. That'll be day two that you actually, you, you actually call out to God, you cry out to God. Day three for you in the belly of the fish might be an environment like Launch Point that you go through and you get connected to a redemption community and now you're, you're locking arms with people or you're doing life together and you're sharing struggles together and they're, they're speaking into your life and you're sharing your life with them. Now, it won't happen overnight, but you'll begin your journey out of the depths, and you'll see how God breaks chains and loosens bonds. And that's so important. Every, I'm telling you, every person who walks across the stage, every leader who walks across the stage could tell you how our lives have been broken in a variety of ways, how we have run from the leadership of God, and how he has faithfully run us down and pulled us up out of the pit because God is gracious and kind. And, and Jonah warns us here in verse 8. He says, look, if you want to continue to hold on to these, to these little gods, and you want to continue to play games with other things, trying to find life, you are forsaking a steadfast love that could be yours. And I don't know what you're clinging to, but I know that there is life and love available 
in Jesus. Augustine, who was a theologian, brilliant, brilliant man, um, and also was a train wreck at one point in his life, serious addictions, serious issues, writes this, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Why does Augustine write like that? Because when you've tasted grace, you start writing poetry. When you know you are forgiven and free, you become a voice of worship. You see, we are Jonah. And like Jonah, we are undeserving. And God is unobligated. But God gives Jonah and us the unbelievable gift of rescue. God says, I will give you your life back. And not only your life back, I'll give you me. And the result is joy. And that makes us sing because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for um, not just the story of Jonah, God, but the reality of what happens to Jonah. And God, I thank you um, that that's just not a one-time experience for a guy thousands of years ago, but God, that that is available today in this very moment. God, that the experience of rescue, God, can happen this morning in this room, in the hearts and lives of, of people who've gathered here together. And God, I, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would be working even now. And God, those who feel like they are drowning, whether they are your children already or not yet, God, that they would not leave this place without crying out to you for rescue. God, salvation belongs to you. We know that, and we sing about that. And it's because of you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.